Welcome to Why the Long Face. Two old friends lifting the lid on mental health over a beer with author and psychiatrist Paul Keedwell and business consultant and so-called comedian Ollie Turnbull. Well, hello and welcome to Why the Long Face, the unexpected edition. Uh, It's still season four and we're still talking about Ashley and I'm still with my old chum, Dr. Paul Keedwell. Um, Hi there. Dr. Keedwell, hello. Why Why we got this epilogue? Why have we decided that um, actually the story is not quite complete and we need um, a few months on from uh, the episode, we need to um, revisit Ashley and um, some of the things that have been happening to him since his recovery? Well, because I think realistically, you know, whenever someone goes through a cycle of episodes like this, um, although they're feeling really great at the end of it, um, you know, and we quite rightly let, ended on a positive note with the season. There is then some work to do to clear up, I guess, all the consequences. Clear up the mess. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that that kind of accrued during that time, you know. Right, so, right. Uh, and also, uh, you know, uh, some time for that person who's been on this roller coaster to sort of find where where the level ground is if you like where, where, where am I again you know I've, I've been up I've been down I've, I thought I was on a level am I still on a level three months later that's you know and do we need to you know I mean I, certainly in a clinical situation with that you know uh, with, with a patient that I'm seeing that would be there would definitely be follow-ups afterwards just to see that everything was was going okay yeah, of course, and it, and it, it coincides quite nicely with a, another recording you made, Ash. Ash, of course, is with us, as usual, um, um, which we're going to listen to in a few short seconds, are we not? Yes. Actually, it's a good explanation, Paul. We, we're making sure that we don't leave the impression that a bipolar episode is a wonderful, life-affirming thing. Um, obviously, it's highly unpleasant and has consequences, although Ash has come out uh, probably stronger for it. Um, so I guess let's let's put the tape on. It's Ash and, and Pete, his life coach again, um, features, I'm very happy to say. Um, just on some of the reflections, the, uh, after a period of, sort of three or four months, I guess, um, after the recovery. Great, let's give it a listen. Hi, my name's Ashley. For the last 12 years, I've said I used to have bipolar. Hey, my name's Peter, and I'm Ash's life coach. So Pete, we were kind of done. It's been five, six weeks since that last episode. And you've become aware that there's another angle that perhaps we indeed touched on, but maybe need to reflect a little bit deeper on. Can you tell us more about what you've been realising over the last five, six weeks? Yeah, so across all of the episodes in the podcast, I touched on the idea of the impact that my states had had on those around me so i remember us talking about my work colleagues for example taking them along for the ride inspiring them having a vision and then that just stopping um and i talked about my wife as well at various points i think in a positive way about me understanding how amazing she'd been and the things that she'd had to cope with and how grateful i was for that but what's happened since we've recorded and definitely since I've been feeling better is first of all I was very focused on finding pragmatic 
solutions initially to work. That pragmatism actually turned into a more transformational thing for me. It made me step up and really think about my value and the future that I want to have with work, especially as I'm 42. It's like, it feels like these 10 years up to the age of 50, I can really run and make stuff happen. And so I've been facing up to a lot of my demons, which I think some of those were triggered by my first bipolar episode happening in my first graduate job. And so I ran away from big companies and um, did my own thing and, and, and made that a success. So since I've been feeling better, I've been very focused on work and the confidence around that. And that's made me feel good and feel positive. And I think that came across in the podcast. It was why we did the podcast. <laughs> but really what I wanted to zero in on in terms of impact in this recording is the impact on my wife. I think in a way across the podcast that we've recorded, you've been hearing it from my perspective and the closest person to me is my wife and she hasn't had a voice in this. And so I think what I want us to dig into is giving her a voice and looking at the challenges of that and hopefully sharing some insights that will have value to other people who are going through bipolar depression, mental health challenges, and the impact on those around them. And I think we touched on when we were off air, as we were prepping for this, the almost an informal title of impact and repair. So maybe that's our two parts for today. Yep. And so what impact have you noticed was done, I guess, and, and where are you two at at the moment? I've been aware with the two of us that there's been something missing. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And you and I have carried on with our sessions and a couple of weeks ago, you got me to do an exercise which was to put myself in Justine's shoes that we're having a conversation together and to view it from her perspective and view it from my perspective. And that conversation between you and I triggered a realization that Justine's experience of the last eight months has been fundamentally different to mine. And so I think that's the first point to make is with bipolar, the cycle between a high, a low and recovery, that takes time. And it's an intense experience. And for me, it's been a very positive experience despite the challenges. So I've come out the back of it, a changed person, a more aware person. I've leaned into the lows and sort of seen the boundaries and the edges of things, but also understood myself a bit better that time for reflection and time to be quiet and time to be on my own is just as important as the exciting visionary stuff. But that realization of this difference in the eight months has meant that we're not at all aligned in lots of ways. And Justine and I have been through a lot of challenges in our lives 
we adopted our son, so there were challenges around being able to have a child, and that took quite a few years. And back in my sort of early 30s, sorting myself out with work, and through all of that time, we've been super aligned. I remember a few years ago, we did a vision board, and it was just so aligned to all the things that we envisaged together. They all happened. They were all aligned. Yeah, yeah. And, and that slipped quite dramatically in the last eight months. But if I was going to be honest, I think it's slipped since COVID. So it's been a couple of years. And I don't think I noticed over those two years, but more specifically in these eight months, I've been self-centered, self-focused, to be able to get through it, I had to do that. And can I ask, you mentioned COVID. Is it about COVID or was it also about the move to another country, do you think? See, it's a bit weird with COVID because I still think we were really lucky to have a very positive COVID experience. Setting up the startup, moving countries. The framework of our lives has been amazing. Right, right. I think there's an aspect of that that's also about loss and not realising the degree of loss. For the last 10 years, I've had a company, I've had a little office, I've had staff, I've had a structure around me. And then I go from that to setting up this startup that's really exciting and happens very quickly. And at the time, and over those two years, that was all really positive. It then triggered getting involved in startups, talking to people, it was all really exciting. Then I came back to Doorstep Gardener and then reinvented it. So I don't want to regret anything in my life, but I think there's a catching up realisation that I spent years working on setting up parameters to my life that gave stability and they went during COVID. So to your point, yes, I think setting up the startup and closing my company, moving countries is to a degree destabilising, even though it was fun and, and felt very positive. And when, when I got caught up in this high and low, I think that all came back into the thinking that I was having. So that's maybe the trigger and one of the major sources, you might say, of stresses. And I think a lot of people would experience something very similar. You know, I think moving country, COVID are two major sources of disruption for a lot of families out there. I think you guys are unfortunately not unique in that sense. However, of course, what you both are experiencing is unique. And so what I'm curious about now is what impact are you becoming aware of that you've had on Justine, your partner? It's not just that I've become aware of it. We've now had conversations where it's been more explicitly said. So one example is that we've lost an element of our connection. And Justine said, I'm just not sure which one of you I'm connecting with. And, right. and so there's right. one example. High me is very different from low me is very different from uh, recovery me, is very different from me now. And so how does it feel for you to hear that from Justine, that she sees you as these multi-parts in a way? It makes me very sad. Um, 
I find it really upsetting that something that is or has been unintentional and has been somewhat out of my control has had that kind of an impact. And the reality is I'm me. <laughs> and this linking of personality and mood with who you are and also your bipolar, I think that's maybe one of the greatest challenges of this. And I can now see it. I think I was very aware in my low, the impact I was having, <clears throat> although actually it was disproportionate. I think Justin found it easier in my low, but it's not very good to see your partner going through that mental anguish. But particularly in my high, I can see the challenges that not only are we in a relationship, but we were working together. And I was disrespectful. I was irritable. And Justine's experience of all of that was very different from the other colleagues I was working with. They saw it as visionary and actually I was quite charming and persuasive. But Justine was getting all of the, all of the crap, to be frank. I'm aware of that, but also it's almost like going out for an evening and drinking, let's say. And when you're drunk, you have a really good time, but you can't quite remember exactly what happened. <laughs> so it feels a bit like that, like I'm aware, but it doesn't feel like me. So I can completely understand yeah. where Justine's coming from. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because the thing that I've become aware of as we've known each other and coached together and also reflected on during these episodes is you became laser focused in a way during your high. You became very ambitious. And I guess there there is that cliche out there of hyper-focused people, very successful in business, can also be sociopaths. <laughs> And I'm not saying you are one, <laughs> I don't think you are, but what's your reflection now on where you were with that energy and that focus and that drive, you know, that visionary versus where you are now, I guess? That's a challenging question because part of the reason that I was hyper-focused or the reason, the key reason was me being focused on looking after us as a family. Now that might sound counterintuitive. Why on earth were you doing a startup if you wanted to build stability for your family? But to me at that point, it felt like a good punt. <laughs> um, we'd seen success in it and that sector was growing and there was lots of positive signs we could make a success of it. Now, having gone through the experience of the high and the low and working with you, I mean, working with you has been fundamental in this. I'm now looking at contract roles and permanent roles and the type of jobs that I couldn't have imagined myself doing for the last 10 years. So it didn't really feel before like I had an option <laughs> to decide, Oh, now's the time for a full-time job. And I, I could have done right. I could have at that point, gone, I've done all this very successful stuff. I did a little startup and it worked. I could have gone to a company then and pitched it in and 
it was a really positive message. Run a company for 10 years, set up startups, was super proactive during COVID, made something happen very quickly. But I was not ready for that at all. So now it's a much more stable ambition than it was a more risky <laughs> ambition. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. As part of realising the impact, what's Justine said about the impact that she experienced? The most important thing is we're now talking and Justine has expressed things that have been hard to hear. One example is that there's been a breakdown in trust. Another one is particularly around the irritability that it doesn't feel nice to have someone doing that to you. And as work colleagues, you know, all of us have had an experience with a bad boss. I was a bad boss. <laughs> and not only that, we're co-directors in the company. Like, it wasn't really my place to be a bad boss and for her to experience right. those things. Right. I see, I see. The main challenge is around the high. I think in the low, it's uncomfortable to see your partner in that situation. But there hasn't been a lot that's come out from that. Afterwards, the recovery, there's been change in me, and I think that's an adjustment. But the real challenge is the high. And isn't it interesting that the experience of the high for me was so exciting, you know, creating this music, being exploratory, having fun, making stuff happen, super exciting. And I did not notice the impact I was having at that point. I could have said at the time that I was a bit irritable, but I would have explained that as, well, Justine's not as focused on as me on this. Uh, she's not working as much as me. And of course she wasn't. Of course she wasn't. Yeah, great. And where are you in the repair cycle? The important thing is that we're talking. That's taken a few weeks to get that going. It's meant some quite difficult things have been said. But I mentioned earlier in this recording the realisation that her eight months has been very different from my eight months. And so I wrote her a card about that. There wasn't just an apology, but it was also just acknowledging that. And then we went away for a weekend and we went to galleries and went to a theatre production so there was an element of that weekend that was really, really fabulous. There was an element of that weekend that also was quite challenging because more stuff came out. We decided to go and see someone together. So that's uh -huh. a development. And we're talking a bit more about what each of us need. And I think that's a separation of the bigger stuff, which will be quite challenging to address and repair. And then the core, the smaller but more important stuff, which is about why we are together, why we fell in love with each other. Yep. And reconnecting to that, even though that might be challenging. The main challenge for me is I've still got this aspiration with work and this has given me quite a wobble. And I've realised that I'm actually quite vulnerable and I've been a bit frightened of cycling into a low again. Not a high, but straight into a low. And so 
we need to be quite gentle in this process. I'm also quite tired of talking and clearly speaking to a counsellor about a relationship is going to be more raw. I think we need to have the basis of stability to be able to explore that stuff together. I think it's really good that the framework of our lives is really positive. Our son is joyous and just amazing. Where we live is really fantastic. Maybe that's another element to this is we're in the UK at the moment and we've been here for four weeks and we're here for another week and we've been staying with my parents-in-law. So I think some of that challenge and what has triggered stuff to come out has been not having enough space to just be. And I'm really looking forward to going home. And you mentioned earlier that one of the challenging things is addressing what you both need. Can you tell me more about where that's at? Yeah, my impression, but this is to be explored with Justine, is that for her, it's an acknowledgement of these challenges, emotions, feelings. For me, it's about feeling that there is stability in our relationship to have the confidence to strive for the things I'm aiming for with work, which are very challenging and where I'm facing some demons. And I can't do both. So that might require Justine to be something that maybe it's not entirely natural to be because she's got these deeper emotions that need addressing. (laughs) So it's kind of a catch-22. It should be, the way it should work is by addressing the bigger elements it allows someone to be closer and I need that to be a little bit the other way around to be able to explore the bigger things because of what's happened with my bipolar. What I've noticed is a lot of us want the relationship to be able to be a launch base for us. To have stability in the home definitely makes it easier for most of us humans to launch into a new area. And is that what you meant by you you can't have both? You can't have both separately. You need them to integrate and be together, ideally. So to have that safety in the home, to have that repair in the home in order to feel more secure to move forward into your new consulting world? Yes, exactly. Brilliantly put, Pete. (laughs) (laughs) And so, Ash, looking at the future, what do you see is needed now both for you individually, because a lot of what we've talked about is awareness and new tools that you have. So what do you see is needed for you and what do you see is needed for your partner? So I think for Justine, it's an appreciation for the bigger things that she's experienced and dealt with. For me, it's about needing some closeness to have the confidence to go after what I'm doing with work, to some, to have some stability. I've mentioned to you, separate from this recording in our sessions, that I've been finding it quite challenging to use the tools that I have, the journaling, meditating. I haven't been doing them. I haven't been sleeping very well. So this stuff's been affecting me quite badly. 
Yeah, that's what we were talking about off air, right? These, the discipline to use the tools that we have developed when we're feeling good is what it's all about. It's creating that resilience, creating that buffer when we're in a good place by using the tools like journaling, meditation, breath work, nurturing, eating well. And so, yeah, indeed, I think it is about picking up those things that have been so valuable for you and continuing to do them. Completely, completely. So, Ash, it sounds like you're aware of the gap and where to focus and what to do differently. And as we've often talked about, it's a journey. Yeah. It's a evolving, iterative process and evolution. Yeah, I, com- I completely agree. And in some ways, I wish it wasn't evolving, but actually life is a journey anyway, separate from any mental health challenges. And we're all on our own journeys. And I think it's important to, to embrace the highs and lows of life to learn from them and to live in balance, happy and fulfilled. Okay, that was, well, they all are, aren't they? Fascinating. Um, And well done again, Ash, for putting those thoughts on tape so that people can share them. Um, Again, quite a lot of reflections there. Um, Paul, what are the things that uh, jump out at you, particularly from your clinical perspective of a, um, a, a patient who's in three or four months after recovery, uh, bearing in mind what you said before about sort of clearing up the consequences? Yeah, I mean, the usual, the usual consequences that uh, need clearing up are, are to do with relationships, I guess, and finances um, and the work situation. So you cover all three, really. Um, one of the things that really leapt out at me was the phrase about when you said you you and uh, Just were starting to talk again. I, I found that quite uh, heartwarming in a way, but also it reflects just how much strain your episodes put on the marriage. And it's good that you're sort of owning up to that and understanding that now. And it, perhaps it takes that time, that distance to really explore that and I really had a lot of respect for what you were doing as a couple to try to mend things you know the the weekend in London and the and the galleries and the theatre after I got better it was my birthday I had a birthday celebration and we had a lot of fun and we did lots of stuff and we were really connecting and things were good and then it was this talking was actually stuff coming out and being discussed that had been Mm. put aside just because I'd got better and it's like, well, let's mm. just crack on. But actually, no, mm. there's some stuff here that mm. needs to be talked about and it's difficult stuff and we need to bring it out. So just to clarify on that point, um, we actually had quite a lot of fun after I got better. And then and then afterwards, this kind of deeper stuff started coming up. I, I'm sure you were able to have, have fun at your party, but the, the point being that there were unresolved issues, weren't there? Yeah. There were, you know, Justine felt that she really needed to express how she had felt during these episodes and and she'd brought up concerns around you know what what person am I married to you know um so she's having to recalibrate um as well as you're you're having to recalibrate so uh you know and I think you were concerned weren't you 
after that initial sort of I, I can imagine an initial high really that you're sort of back on a level again but I'm sure you're both relieved and both enjoying celebrating that together but then there was some work to do about the about the rest and about yes. you know what's what's happened in the past and what are the implications for the future and so on mm. and then the other thing was was the work wasn't it and you mentioned that in a way it's sort of you could say nothing's changed it's in that you were facing demons around work before the episode the first episode um and you're still facing those same demons it's just that you've got a different perspective now so there's you know you're still on a on a journey aren't you what are what are the limits you know where what are the limits of my ambitions? Where, what, what sort of balance do I strike between innovative and financially more stable and more secure? Yes, absolutely. Um, it's definitely opened my eyes to things with um, a degree of balance. So I sort of feel at the moment like I can be ambitious, but considered <laughs> to be thoughtful and reflective. And that's meant that I've been very open-minded about what's coming next. One of the things that came up for me the other day was um, I've had a, a few fears coming in about what I do next. But I remembered that back in my 20s, I got to this point where I got afraid of making a decision because of the impact it might have. And now, older and wiser, I, I don't really know what's going to happen next, but I'm... I'm sort of happy to kind of go with it, if that makes sense. I don't know if that, that's something yeah. that I've gained through this. I had a question related to that, um, and that was, is there any sense, I often wonder, Paul's talked about it as well, whether mental illness of this type is your brain's safety mechanism trying to tell you something. So depression, uh, like Paul says in his book, is all about a defense mechanism because you're doing too much and, and your mind is making you, take time away by making you feel so ghastly that you can't actually do anything is there a sense in what you've been through that it is an it's your mind body telling you something and that you've been able to sort of pivot in another direction with regards work unfortunately i think it's a bit more complicated than that <laughs> um, <laughs> one of my realizations now i think is that I, a lot of this crash was actually a delayed response to bigger themes. One of them was, right. it wasn't COVID happening. I realise now it was COVID shuttering my business that I'd had for 10 years. And I still feel a bit vulnerable in that regard because for 10 years I knew what I was doing every day, where I was going, the people that I worked with. And now I find myself in a position where I'm excited about the future, but I am... I, I am trepidatious about the future as well because I don't know what it is and that uncertainty is disconcerting yeah it's still there it was there before and it's it's still there yeah um, but you I think that there is more resilience now and there is more balance yes. you know and uh, one of the things we psychiatrists always worry about when people are a bit high is how to what degree are they attached to reality you know to the to, to in terms of their work goals and so on and i remember pete saying in this episode in this recording that you were very very focused during your manic mm. uh, episode but of course focused and creative and innovative does not necessarily equate to productive or 
positive. I mean, you certainly were productive in in your music, for example. But yes. I think you know, I think you did keep a sort of tenuous uh, grasp of of the real world. You know, it wasn't that you, but that's always the sort of defining thing that we look for, I suppose, um, judgment and whether judgment is to, to, is sort of turning into the psychotic, if you like. Psychotic meaning, you know, a, a, a distance from reality. Yeah, it's, it's funny because I had a call today with uh, a company um, that would be an opportunity that would be leveraging what I did with the startup. And I told the story to him and he thought it was fantastic. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's a good one for the CV, you know, being ambitious, making something happen. There's a lot that's, uh, that's good in there. And I have been aware through the recording of all of this season that I'm applying for roles now. And this podcast is, has a prominent place on my LinkedIn profile. And I've also thought about that a lot because I think the world is much more open to um, mental well-being and mental health and seeing the positives in it. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually proud of being able to talk about those things. And I feel it, maybe there, there probably are companies that might listen to some of this and, and have opinions about it. But I think others... Um, I've had feedback of people that see the real positivity and strength in, in how much this has all helped me to learn about myself and to become sort of stronger and better and more productive as a result. It's certainly been a popular season as well in terms of listeners. Um, the listeners, uh, we, we, we've got listeners all the way through in the, in the last three years that we've been doing this, Paul, uh, but there's been a real uptick uh, without any marketing effort in this one. So there are people... Um, uh, enjoying the journey and presumably relating to it and hopefully getting something out of it. That's great to hear. I mean, that was the intention, right? When you kind of do something that, that reveals your vulnerability, um, I remain sort of faithful that the company and the organisations I I will work with will only see this as a positive and, and, a, and a strength. And, and if You wouldn't really want to work for them if they didn't. I'm sorry to yeah. go over you. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't want to work with them if they didn't, really. Yeah. It's almost like a qualification. <laughs> the interview process is a two-way street. I always think that when yeah. I'm interviewing people. I've got to make them comfortable, make them want to work in the company that I'm in. Uh, and but frankly, if anybody thought that you being on this podcast was a problem, it's a company I wouldn't want to work for. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but talking about the listeners which is much more important i mean the idea that um people would listen to this and get value from it that was always the intention so that's lovely to hear well it's a great way to to end i think um you know thanks once again ash and um good good luck with everything and i think thanks. the whole point of this epilogue was to if i may call it that um is is an opportunity for you to sort of say well look the, the, the i'm still on a journey Things, it's still a yeah. work in progress, but the goal is clear, living in balance. That was the the message at the end of that, wasn't it? Yeah, living in balance. And, you know, I started every episode with, for 12 years, I've said I used to have bipolar. I think maybe my motto now is, I, I know for the next 12 years, I have got it. And I'm going to take all the strengths and benefits and positivity from it to, um, yeah, to live a fulfilled and balanced life. So... The journey continues, and thank you so much for uh, talking this all through. Absolute pleasure. Thanks again, Ash. Uh, you're a good egg. Uh, <laughs> I look forward to seeing you and having a couple of beers with the doctor <laughs> at some point. Take Very care, soon. man. Thanks. Bye-bye.